on. Daniel had a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream. Daniel saw in my vision, Daniel, sorry, I, Daniel, saw in my vision by night the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came out, out of the sea, different from one another. And verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was troubled within me, and the visions of my head terrified me. I approached one of the attendants to ask him the truth concerning all this. So he said that he would disclose to me the interpretation of the matter. As for these four great beasts, four kings shall rise out of the earth, but the holy ones of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. And our New Testament reading is Ephesians chapter 1. And it's from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through to the end. Ephesians 1, from verse 11 to the end. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's people to the praise of his glory. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that, with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. 20 to 31. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, 
and defame you on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestor did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is when their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that listen, your enemies, sorry, but I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So I wonder where most of us were, where most of us were tomorrow, yesterday morning. Um, I may be guessing how many people were sort of in front of a television, and how many of those in that television were watching the World Cup rugby. Yeah, very sad. And so, as I was watching that, I was thinking, we all like to have our heroes those who we admire, those who we look up to, those who inspire us, and those who do greater things than they should be. And there really isn't any other platform like a World Cup uh, for us to surface those who are possible heroes. And like if, you're, if you were like me, I was actually a little bit torn as to who I'd be supporting in the final. You, you see, loyalty and nostalgia had me supporting England and uh, I suppose it's the nostalgic bit that kind of kept me there because in 2003, when England last won the World Cup, it was early in the morning, and I was in a church hall uh, in the, I think it was about half six or seven in the morning, um, watching the rugby World Cup final, England versus Australia, and my one-year-old son was nestled asleep in my chest as I was watching, and we won uh, that day. And I thought afterwards, that, uh, later yesterday morning, that maybe I should have put the 17-year-old <laughs> back on my chest uh, yesterday, uh, and maybe that would have brought us a bit of luck, but uh, I think he's a bit big now. And yet there was a bit of a hint of wonder and hope that I did have for South Africa to win. A nation that has lost its way, a nation that's looking for a second transformation and yet a nation that does have a hero to light some hope and belief of the impossible. As you will know, I'm probably talking about the black South African captain, Sia Khaleesi. Someone who leads by example, an example of the impossible and extraordinary. Born of humble dwellings in a township, 
with little to sleep on as a child, and at times with no food, no shoes. And in 2007, when South Africa last played a final, there wasn't a TV in his home to watch that final. He had to go away and try to see it elsewhere. But he's a captain because of how he plays his rugby and the presence he has with the rest of the team. And it was summed up in his comments after lifting the trophy in an interview, and he said, we love you, South Africa, and we can achieve anything if we work together as one. And I wonder how many lives will be lit up with hope through the example of Khaleesi. There were many pictures last night of people in South Africa in tears through the struggle that is affecting them now economically. Maybe they saw something in him, in the team, that talks about persevering, of hope, of the impossible. And on, on this All Saints Day, we cannot slip, slip away from God's people who also inspire us, who within themselves have a miracle story and set hope for many. I know that for some Christians, the idea of All Saints Day is a bit uncomfortable and strange. In many ways, we're all one in Christ, and Jesus' ministry was leveling any favoritism or hierarchy with God. Now, All Saints Day is also known as All Hallows, and the word hallow means holy, being blessed, blessed, consecrated, set apart, set apart in a special way. And so in All Hallows or All Saints Day, we're referring to those holy ones, the saints, those who died for their faith, those who had extraordinary lives. Now the tradition of remembering God's people in this way and those who gave their lives for their faith goes back, right back to the fifth century and possibly even to the second. And since that time, that, um, that ceremony, that kind of festival has been aligned around the time of the seasonal change from autumn to winter. And that was known in the Celtic tradition as a time when the boundary between the spirit world and the earthly world was at its thinnest. That's what they thought then. Thus we get All Hallows' Eve or Halloween on the 31st. And in then, on those nights, there were fires, fires lit in the belief that light had power over darkness. So as we were going into winter, there was a symbolism of light being greater than the darkness. And hence pumpkins were lanterns used as torches. Now today, Hallow's Eve or Halloween, though celebrated by some in a light-hearted way, I think there is an undercurrent of it being a time of mischief and fear. But All Saints marks a day when we know that the kingdom of God continues through all time and in the people of God. In the New Testament, 
saint is often used to describe those who are followers of Christ, the people called to holiness in him. Not just those who are extra specially good. So does this apply to Christians now? Are we all saints? Now the answer must be yes. So on this day we pray not just for those who have been especially recognised as saints, but for all our loved ones and for ourselves. There's also a commemoration after All Saints Day to remember those that have departed. Churches often have a memorial service the day after All Saints Day. And at St Nicholas Church back in Ealing, we'll have a memorial service this afternoon, a time of quiet reflection for those who maybe we've missed or passed away in the year, but also a time for God to be at work in our loss and hurt. Our thoughts are also on the faithfulness of God to his people and the purposes of the kingdom of God. And there in the book of Daniel, set in the days in the exile in Babylon, we read of hope to the Jews. For the Jews were suffering persecution. They'd been taken away to a different land. And they were under a ruler who tried to eliminate the faith. And the revelation through Daniel in our reading today reminds us that though there are earthly kingdoms that may govern and may lead, and may lead the kingdom of God in a slightly different direction. However powerful they may appear, it will not pass away or make way for the kingdom of God. And as we remember those saints who have gone before us over the centuries, we see the truth of the message of Daniel. Many kingdoms have passed away in the centuries since the book of Daniel but the kingdom of God remains. It remains present through his people, both on this earth and the next life. Our earthly life, our earthly lives may pass away, but as Christians, we are part of God's heavenly kingdom in, in an inheritance that will last for eternity. So I wonder what makes a saint today now, you may well recall uh, a few weeks back that John Henry Newman was canonised. Anyone remember that recollection? Well done. Um, and he canonised in the Catholic Church is kind of like their official way to make someone a saint. Um, and in fact, Mother Teresa was made a saint back in 2016. And in the Catholic Church, to become a saint, it's like there are various levels and assessments and... Uh, you have to go through one thing to another. Uh, it, it can actually take years before someone gets recognised. Now, uh, Henry, John Henry Newman was around in the, the early 19th century, uh, and so it's been a long time since he has come to be recognised. And I suppose Mother Teresa as well. Now, whilst we think of saints as kind of spiritual giants who lived many years ago, the Bible's understanding of a saint is someone whom God has sanctified and made holy. And for the Old Testament people of God, this meant belonging to God's chosen people, the Jews. And so to be a son of Abraham, as Jesus puts it in the Gospel reading, 
you would have been a saint then. And for New Testament believers and beyond, it means belonging to the body of Christ, a people made holy through Jesus' sacrifice. Now, it makes sense in many ways that we, who have those that can, it makes sense in many ways that we have those that can be examples in specific ways that we can follow. And so we have saints that somehow we kind of recognize for particular things. Now, you might know of St. Benedict, who founded a rule for groups of people living in small religious communities as monks. Maybe Francis of Assisi, who established the Franciscan order. It's easy to follow someone more than it is maybe to listen to them. To follow someone, to watch them, to hear them, and as they demonstrate through their life, maybe that's an easy way for us to follow. Now, people were drawn to acts that were extraordinary by these people, or maybe unusual, and if they brought some healing or blessing upon them. Now, you may remember St. Nicholas. Um, that's the, the saint of the church I come from. Um, and he was from a place called Myra in southern Turkey. Anyone know that area in southern Turkey, been there for a holiday? It's, 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 you wouldn't believe it. You, lots of people go there, and they don't actually realize that that's where um, St. Nicholas was from. And um, Now, he was known for his generosity. Uh, he was best known for liberating three girls uh, from what we would probably call what is known now as modern slavery. So he was known to be very generous. But his generosity and so his personhood didn't stop there. He was also known to be the saint of sailors, of merchants, of archers, of repentant thieves, of prostitutes, of children, of brewers, that's people who make beer, pawnbrokers and students in various cities. And so his reputation went amongst all the Christians. And his legendary habits of secret giving gave rise to the traditional role of Santa Claus that's linked to him. And so sometimes we look at saints and they tell us, they show us aspects of, how, of what they did. And maybe they inspire us, maybe they encourage us, maybe they think, make us think about our faith, our hope. And God set the ultimate person for us to follow. In Jesus, God sent the very being of himself in flesh that we might understand and know what God is like. That we might listen, that we may follow the way of love, of forgiveness, and the healing that Jesus showed. See, in the Old Testament, God's people struggled with following the law. He just couldn't get what the prophet said. Then God being revealed in Christ. Now this was someone that they could relate to. They could see, they could feel, they could touch. They could see God's love. I wonder this morning who currently in your life is inspiring you. Maybe the person who you may know or you're reflecting of in the life, in their life or, or their words, reading a book. 
maybe someone that brings you to the hope and revelation of Christ. Like Paul speaks of in the New Testament reading in Ephesians, that in your circumstance they are giving hope that the impossible and extraordinary are possible. The extraordinary message of the cross, the message of salvation. These saints may be close to us. They may be someone in our family, maybe our mothers, maybe our father, our children, grandparents or friends. Maybe they have that part of God's presence and holiness to help you to raise your heart to God. It can often be in an act of love, of acceptance, of belief, of patience, of just being there to hold you. And in that moment, maybe they are the saint that you need. And in the gospel reading, we get a blueprint of the path of the saint. Now Jesus here looks up at his disciples and looking at them and seeing them, this is what he gets as he looks at them. He says, and this is what he's seeing in them, he's describing them. And he says that they are poor, hungry, weeping, they're hated, and they're persecuted. And then a saintly charge to them to move towards unconditional love, unconditional kindness, unconditional mercy, and unconditional grace. See, those disciples knew the animosity against them. They knew of being hated of wanting to retaliate, returning the harshness, giving back evil for evil. Made me think of someone else who had a similar experience, Martin Luther King. In the midst of the struggle for equality and finding a way to win, he spoke of what Jesus meant in this passage about loving your enemies. And he said this, now there is a final reason I think Jesus says, love your enemies. It's this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power that there eventually transforms individuals. Just keep, just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep loving them and they can't stand it for too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning they react with guilty feelings, and sometimes they'll hate you a little more at the transition period, but just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It's the redemptive love, and this is the love that Jesus speaks of. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There is something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So love your enemies. Words from Martin Luther. So understanding that belief from Martin Luther towards Jesus' command to love, it's quite powerful, as I said, set in the context of hate, violence, oppression and death of a segregated and racist 1960s America. 
And everything those saints did then, back in those days, back in Martin Luther's King's days, everything they did, they did for us. This is what is meant by the inheritance of the saints that Paul refers to. As early as the second century, Christians, get, Christians gathered for worship at the tombs of those who had died for their faith. It was to celebrate the power of God's grace in the lives of these faithful people. And from this came the early understanding of the phrase, the communion of saints, referred to the ongoing bonds between the faithful on earth, that's us, and the faithful who had gone before. You see, our communion with saints is with Christians past, present, and future, including those, including those whose lives aren't necessarily as holy as we expect from our traditional view of saints. We live among saints, but saints are not perfect. Their weaknesses and strengths weave into our own, but together, we are part of the great community of God called the saints. A community that we have all shared in the past and the present and the future. You see, every person who has lived and died made choices that in one way or another, they've all conspired to bring us to this moment. That every moment of our lives on this earth and the world to come exists for others and their freedom. We live for those who surround us and come after us. That's why some consider we have a heavenly host over us who respond to our prayers or who are part of the presence of God in our lives. We're all knit by the Spirit God continues to transform all our lives until the whole body is free. And in that, God does not give up on any of us. This is the promise of all saints, that together we are being reconciled to God. And in that hope, God does not give up on us. It's in the communion of saints that we are his holy people. And he reconciles not just the shiny people, not only the heroes, the giants, the martyrs. He's reconciling those we consider our enemies, those who wrong us and those we have wronged. God is calling. God is reaching out to where, wherever we are today, in whatever circumstance. The communion of saints gather to welcome us into the presence of a God who keeps on giving. <laughs>